It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat. All in, all out, shake it all about. Welcome to East League Suplex Retweet Central. My name is Ross McLeod, reviewing the absolutely sensational record-breaking show that was AW All In from Wembley. Uh, joining me tonight is a man who didn't blink for four minutes after the result of the main event. It's David Hockney. <laughs> Wait, who's this David Hockney you're talking about? Um, I'm pretty sure my new moniker is uh, Johnny Vaughn of Wesh. I know. <laughs> Basically, for those of you that don't get that, we took a selfie in front of Wembley before the show and somebody commented on the picture when you order Johnny Vaughn off of Wesh and basically singled me out. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for taking a break for the big breakfast to review AEW All In with me today. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget if you want to listen to our preview of AEW All In, where we each get six right and get a fair bit wrong. <laughs> you can listen to that. 50%, so I'll take it. You can listen to that in a massive back catalogue, each sleep suplex retweet, and, uh, on iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcast sync sites. Easy for me to say, God, I'm not exactly on one today, but at suplex retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. But you can tell me I'm not on it today. Dave... London, obviously a lot easier to get around than Cardiff for you guys that uh, went to WWE's Clash at the Castle. I said this to Gary, um, it seems that everything in Glasgow is direct, but never on time. London, (laughs) you could not fault the public transport for its timing, but oh my God, if I had to get on another train, I was going to strangle somebody. (laughs) Listen, I don't blame you, you know, the tube isn't for everybody, it has its pros and cons. The frequency of it's great though, but trying to navigate it, it, that does take some practice uh, but take it from somebody who's lived in London for 18 months I was I was cool with it and you know memorizing the the map of the underground certainly was a, a help uh, that too and I get you know you have to trade or change trains to get to from one end of the city to the other but all in all it's worth it it, it was not worth it, David. I, I made, Gary told us a story about when he went to London with his family and his mum was like, can we not just walk? Do we have to get in another train? And we laughed at that on Saturday <laughs> night thinking, oh, isn't she being daft? 
I was in full agreement with Gary's mum on Monday. Like, if I need to get on another train, I'm going to punch somebody. I had to go out with Gary to Ibrooks yesterday. Mm. And the thought of getting on a subway again, even though it was only the Glasgow subway, which is just a big circle, honestly, I, I was filled with dread. I was Googling how long to walk to Ibrooks. Um, honestly, it was just... I, I, loved, I loved being there. It was a really interesting place, you know... I love being on the Riverside, first time in London. But my God, I, I don't know how people can do that on their daily commutes. Oh, well, in some cases, you know, some people's routes are actually pretty straightforward. Others can be a little bit more complicated, but that's, you know, cost of living for you in some capacity. Some people travel all the way from like Warrington or Birmingham just to work in London and then get that same train home about two or three hours later where they live. So, yeah, I'm I mean, not talking about people that live outside of London. I'm talking about actually in London. <laughs> oh, yeah, just take the Victoria line, then take the blue line, then take the red line, then take the yellow line, then get back on the Victoria line. Fuck off! Every <laughs> <laughs> Glasgow's big circle any day of the week. You take the overground, the underground. I'm not a womble, okay? I'm <laughs> go away. Anyway, one oh god, and I think we um. And then this is a, a minor criticism of AEW over the weekend because the show itself was sensational. But I think when you look at the fact that they're planning all out uh, this coming Sunday, they're planning their usual StarCast events and Q&As with people and, you know, they're making it this big weekend thing. It just felt like they wasted an opportunity when in London, when the Wembley Arena is right next to Wembley Stadium, to not do, you know, maybe on the Friday you could have done a rampage, a collision and a Ring of Honor taping. You could have done lots of things with it, you know, sort of a WrestleMania weekend feel mm -hmm. because I know when you guys were in Cardiff, it was like there was so much on uh, WWE-wise, but in London, you know, on the day, it felt WrestleMania worthy. But before it, it just kind of felt like, oh, we're at Wembley and there's two tents set up for merch yeah i get where you're coming from but you have to remember this is AEW's first uh abroad show and it's their first uk show so i think they have to test the water a little bit with where the demand is and i get they had box park set up which had a few merch stands it had some bars food vendors uh but unfortunately we were cursed with that god-awful hosting duty by Gene Money and Session Moth from Progress Wrestling. The crowd were just... It was uh, Lana Austin, I think. Was oh, it Lana that? Austin, sorry. When it, yeah. I, I just heard Session Moth getting mentioned. I didn't know if she was there or not. Yeah, so for those of you that were there, by the way, that was that was horrendous as that well. Box, dire. Box Park, the organisation there was dire. And then Hooked on Wrestling had an event and I know people who worked on Hooked on Wrestling with Hooked on Wrestling before. Uh, John Isherwood's worked with them before. Whenever they work with wrestlers, they always ask them, do you want to do this in character? And I think that's a risk, especially when you've got a show with 81,000 people, people who are casual fans, people who maybe just watch AEW but don't watch British wrestling, and they don't know who these people are. The reach of progress and the reach of ICW and the reach of OTT while the three biggest names in UK and Irish wrestling it isn't as big as they think. And there was just, although the setup of Box Park was a bit of a nightmare, 
the vibe in there and with the wrestling tunes playing and you know you had all these wrestling fans in one place and everyone excited for the show it was a really cool vibe and a really you know it was getting you up for the show and it was almost as if Tony Khan had paid them to be deliberately horrible just to make <laughs> sure people were in the arena on time because it was just oh my Lana Oki I'm sure Lana Austin as a person is wonderful I'm sure her character works great but a singer she ain't. And oh, no, absolutely not. We had to put up with uh, we had to put up some really, really awful karaoke. Yeah. As well, it was like who the who the hell yeah. decides to have karaoke at that time of the day when people are literally only just started drinking? Yeah, and also the host mic didn't work, so it just sounded like somebody on the waltzers. Yeah, give us a scream, you know. Wanna go faster? Wanna go faster? Wanna go faster? Wanna go faster? Even our contributors, like laptop mics, are like much better quality than that. Yeah, it was absolutely horrendous. And yeah, so that was the only thing I think kind of let the weekend down. You know, there was stuff on, but not enough AEW organized stuff. And I think next year will be different, and we'll get into that later on. But, oh, my God, that Hooked On Wrestling event was absolutely dire. Absolutely yeah. dire. They'll but, need to make some changes for that next year. Maybe get advertise somebody in advance to host it, somebody that's a, a well-known name. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. not well-known, but, like, enough to draw the fans in and get them warmed up. You know, these events are meant to, you know get fans into it and get fans ready for the show. Fans were having a real, there was a really good vibe there and Hooked, uh, Hooked on Wrestling came on and just absolutely killed it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely killed the vibe, stone dead. It was, people yeah. were leaving to go to other pubs before, you know, Wembley or going in early. You know, when people are going into Wembley early to pay eight quid for a beer, that's not a good sign, you know no. what I mean? But yeah, um, Something to obviously work on next year. So obviously we went down the day before, um, had a look at Wembley. It was a bit rainy. It was a bit grey on Saturday. We were like, that's Wembley. That's, that's a bit of a disappointment. Oh, how wrong we were. When you how get very in, wrong we were. You know, Ibrooks, Hamden, Parkhead, these are football stadiums. These are designed to host football games. Wembley Stadium, oh my God, that is a multi-purpose venue designed to take every shred of money you have mm-hmm. and there's so many outlets and so many places to go where they can t- relieve you of that hard-earned cash um just like the, i went to um i went to the three lines bar we were sat in the purple section i went to three lines bar um during one of the matches to get a drink because the bar queue was about six deep not too deep that, that's another thing. They had plenty of stands and plenty of toilets that you never felt like you were standing in a queue. Mm. And a I mean, you've got, to be, you've got to be prepared for 80,000 thirsty patrons yeah. and those same 80,000 patrons waiting to break the seal. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, yeah, I went in a Three Lines bar and the event was on there and there was people like, maybe sitting for a wee bit and, you know, a comfy chair and having having a pint, watching the show on the TV. It was, it was it's such a sensational arena. And then when you get there, oh, my God, the size of the place, it was just, it was so visually impressive. Everything about Wembley Stadium. You know, we were having a conversation uh, the day before, obviously, about the football and, you know, why are the finals always at Wembley? 
we now know why the finals are always mm-hmm. at Wembley. Honestly, yeah. I'm not English, but I'd be petitioning for every final to take place at Wembley because, my God, that is a sensational stadium. You cannot argue that Wembley was built for the purpose of hosting any event that you could ask for. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a, a sporting event, a comedy gig, or a, or a music concert. It's prepared for every scenario. And I believe it also has the largest capacity in all of the UK. Yeah, it's the biggest one in the UK. Yeah. Manchester United like, Stadium is 75,000. Uh-huh. Although there have been other stadiums built since, but I think... Yeah. Like, I've been in... I've been in Safeco. I've been in Safeco Field in Seattle before, and I've been in the Sky Dome. Both of them would comfortably hold fifty thousand plus. Uh, both of them have held WrestleMania before. They host baseball games. They've done NFL games there, but they dwarf in comparison to what Wembley was like. And the the really good thing about Wembley is it's not just the interior that's impressive. Like you know, you look at the stadium from a good bit away. You could see the arch from miles back. It's all lit up. There's pyrotechnics installed in and around the roof. Like, just looking at it, it makes you think, oh my God, we're heading over there. I'm already buzzing for it. Yeah. Um, Largest stadiums in the UK, just double-checking. Wembley, 90,000. Twickenham, also in London, 82,000. Old Trafford, 73. The Principality, Sorry, 74 for Old Trafford, 73 for the Principality, and 67,000 for Murrayfield. So that's the big five in the UK. Um, But yeah, it's not just the fact that it's big, it's the the stuff in it, you know what I mean? And, you know, for actual stadium prices, it's not even that dear for a lot of the things there. It just, so, so impressive. And yeah. so well run, and it was absolutely sensational. If you want value, like, part of, I think, the cost comes with the value of the stadium. You know, you like you go into a fancy bar or club, you're going to expect drinks to be pricey. This is just a fancy arena, so drinks are going to be pricey regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But absolutely. it's worth it, because you, yeah, the whole experience, you can't put a price on that. No, absolutely. It was absolutely sensational. Let's talk about the show. Um, we missed... Uh, it wasn't advertised. It said zero hour was going to be an hour, but they ended up making it two hours. Uh, there was a brawl with Miro and Powerhouse Hobbs just beating the hell out of security. We'll skip by that because we didn't know about that till the next day. We uh, mm-hmm. were like, okay, that happened. Um, <laughs> but then you had... I think the moment everyone was waiting for, and I had got up, I was coming back from the toilet at this point, I was going to go to the bar, and someone opens the door, and all I hear is Jeff Jarrett's voice, and I'm like, it's happening. We heard the rumours, we we knew <laughs> that something had to happen. Jarrett, Satnam, Jay Leto, and the other one. It's Sanjay Dutt. Aye, are in the ring, and Big Show's music hits. He comes out with Anthony Agogo. They're walking down to the ring. Then Grado's name appears on the Titantron. And the stadium wasn't full yet, but oh my God. The pop. I think pop. there were about 60,000 people in the stadium at the time. They sounded like 90,000. Oh my God. Mm. <laughs> he was the most over man in the stadium. 
Yeah. Like, I think people were sort of clamoring for it a little bit. Obviously, you know, Scottish hero, like UK hero a little bit. But and we said on Central previously, we we had our reservations about a Jeff Jarrett Grado match. Even in the group chat, we were like, a Jeff Jarrett Grado match isn't convincing me this is going to be a good show. But the way they executed the segment was perfect. Like, you know, it was just a short segment. It didn't take up too much time. They got their good spots in. They got the guitar shot. And I think folk just wanted the Grado pop, but they didn't necessarily want a match. And they they absolutely knocked out the park. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ironic that they could have just made this a six-man tag on the zero hour, though, but, you know. Mm, uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But I will say this, though. Paul White, Big Show's AW theme is a banger. Yeah, you, the only person, the, the guy that wrote the theme doesn't remember the words, but you were <laughs> I turned to you and said, who's that with Big Show? And you dinged me. And I'm like, all right. Fuck I was too me. busy singing along. <laughs> well, this understand. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, turns out it was Andrea Gogo because they were both on the pre-show panel. But yeah, um, let's talk about the first match on the pre-show, the first advertised match. Adam Cole and MGF defeat Aussie Open for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Aussie Open making themselves the biggest heels in the country. There was a wait for an Adam Cole baby like never before. <laughs> and Aussie Open just attacked them. And you know what? I loved it. Do you know why? Because it makes sense. Why the fuck would the heels let <laughs> let the faces get their hot dogging and grandstanding and no whack them over the head? <laughs> oh, you and you you were sat next to me, remember? And yeah. I was on my feet, ready to boom it like all else. And then I was like, "Oh, you motherfuckers!" <laughs> like it, they just completely ruined like the exact thing I was waiting to do all weekend long. Like an Aussie Open in that one move just became like the super heels of that point. Um, a good match to start the crowd off. Obviously, you had the double clothesline uh, spot that they were building up to. You had the kangaroo kick that got a massive pop off the crowd. Aussie Open did get a lot of offense in this match. I think they were very they, they were mm. very careful not to make them an afterthought. Yeah. A lot. I think a lot of the match was in Aussie Open's favour, particularly with you know keeping MJF away from tagging in Cole. Uh, but you're right; it didn't make them look weak at all. You know, they put in a a decent performance. You know, for it being the shortest match on the card. But I think the real story was, you know, you had the promos between Better Than You Baby in the weeks prior. You know, they were teasing the double clothesline, the kangaroo kick. People were chanting for it, and I like how they played that in. Uh, with the the pursuit of winning the tag team championships, but apart from that, there wasn't really much else that that stood out aside from the fact I think better than you, baby, were obviously the favourites going in. But the kangaroo kick, everybody chanting for that was just brilliant, and even MJF doing a dive to the outside and he was just looking up, he's just like, oh my god, I just did that. Like that was that was pretty cool. That was the main event. Oh, sorry, never mind. Sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, Dave. Calm. Oh, they, they could be twice in one night. You know, it's easy to to jumble no, them up. Of course. Um, but yeah, MGF and Adam Cole kicking off the night, winning the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. MGF's reaction, obviously he said he still thought him and Cole 
were a tag team championship worthy team. That's why they challenged Aussie Open. I think thinking what we thought going in, you, you were watching MGF reaction. You're like, oh, this could be heartbreaking later on. But would you like to talk about CM Punk fighting people? <laughs> uh, I'm sounding like a broken record when we uh, we talk about CM Punk. So let's talk about Hook versus Jack Perry. Hook defeating Jack Perry by submission in an FTW rules match for the FTW Championship. Uh, it wasn't announced ahead of time. Uh, Jack Perry comes out in this uh, this car, J- JBL Light. Um, they, they have a, a scrap on top of the car. Jack Perry slams Hook down on the windshield. The windshield cracks. It sounds horrendous. Jack Perry then, we didn't know this at the time, but said to the camera, it's real glass, cry me a river, referencing the fact that CM Punk nicks the segment with, with real glass on collision a few weeks ago, saying we don't do that here, it's a dangerous spot and there's no point in it. Um, so Jack Perry having a little dig, Jack Perry um, apparently told people beforehand he was going to do this to see if he could get a reaction, which to me makes Jack Perry the dickhead here, um, to be honest yeah. with But this match was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought, you know, I, I find Jack Perry still very boring. But Hook, I thought he had been wasted. But it was good for him to get this spotlight in front of, you know, the 80,000 fans. The arena had started to fill up by the time he won. The The hardcore element really did add to this match, I think. Oh, for sure, yeah. I think if it was just a regular match, I think it would have been a real sleeper. Like, you know, people would have just nip to the bar for another drink or something but the false count anywhere FTR rules or FTW rules stipulation it definitely added to it you know the spot on the car you know despite you know real glass Jack Perry's dig it punk a little bit in hindsight it doesn't make Jack Perry look too great but the match itself no complaints you know a nice solid you know Nice, solid, hardcore match just to get the, the crowd going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was apparently when Jack Perry came back through Gorilla um, that he had a smug look in his face as CM Punk approached him. CM Punk then apparently pushed Perry and put him in a headlock um, after a brief altercation. Um, a monitor apparently fell on top of to They they were then separated by Samoa Joe, who Samoa Joe, who then had to convince Punk to go out for the actual match itself. Um, this seems like, and you know, I spoke to, I spoke about it with David Campbell, and he went, "Oh, come on, you know, is Punk really getting that upset by a comment when Jack Perry apparently stormed away like a child?" regarding the original glass spot, then he he tells people in advance that he's going to do that to get a reaction and then does it on camera. It just makes Jack Perry sound like a little dick. Yeah. Like, I, I can appreciate in hindsight, you know, once, you know, you've got multiple articles saying multiple things, but you start to paint a picture of what's actually happened. And I think... And having experienced this in the past, I think, just in real life, if somebody tells, if person A tells person B 
that they're going to say something on camera to get a reaction out of person C. They do that reaction. They trigger person C. They come back with a smug look on their face thinking, so what do you think of that, eh? That really, really pissed me off. Like, it's... What does it accomplish other than person A's made themselves to look like a bit of a bit of a knob and nobody is elevated from it, not even person A themselves. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, yeah, it, it didn't look good, but what did look good and what was great was CM Punk versus Samojo for the Real World Championship. Um, I thought this was an absolutely sensational match. It says 14 yeah. minutes on, on Wikipedia. It went by in a flash and it was sensational. It was brilliant. And I and I said to you guys after the show, I deep down wasn't expecting a lot from this because obviously, you know, CM Punk and Joe, they both uh, did time in Ring of Honor. They've both been, they both faced each other many times in the past. But that was 20 years ago. Can they still do the same thing 20 years later? all in i had my doubts but my god they've they proved me wrong in a massive way joe was massively over with the crowd everyone was singing cult personality when the music hit and that moment in itself was pretty surreal given that you know cm punk obviously had a, a big presence in wwe for a long time when he brought cult personality out that was a huge turning point for his career and it felt like a real privilege just to be in that moment to see him make his entrance. I mean, sure, the, the crowd were against Punk half the time, but there were so many spots that they did, it really got a really good reaction. And I think that's what made the match so successful, is that everything, no matter what either of them did, they had a couple of unique spots here and there that would always generate a pop. And I'm very, very pleased I got to watch that. Samoa Joe giving the old... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the old nope turn. Yeah, the old nope turn, but they also... Um, well, let's call it churning butter. Uh, the old churning butter. Uh, <laughs> uh, Wanker! And that gets such a pop. Punk, the song was over. He was booed, and oh, I loved... I'm a, I'm a massive Hulk Hogan fan. I will not apologise for that. Hulk Hogan despite his personal issues outside the ring, is one of the most over wrestlers of all time. And Punk doing the leg drop after teasing the five moves of Doom, and then Samoa Joe doing the hulking up, and 81,000 people going, you, you, absolutely loved it. Punk such eventually a, gets the win. Such a good moment. Punk gets the win eventually. Um, so Not without getting... Not without getting busted open as well after Joe yeah. flung them through the announce table. Yeah, not th not through the announce table. As in. No, like the, the front, <laughs> like the, the actual vertical upright front. bit. Yeah, but um, a sensational match. Punk apparently was told when he got backstage that no one's forcing him to leave, but it'd probably be better if he did. He went and get changed. Um, Rumours of a Punk, uh, punk uh, Miro argument, which have since been proved to be false, um, CM Punk apparently stayed in his dressing room for an hour and then left. Uh, went and bought a Nando's for him and a few of the talent uh, that were meeting up with him after. Punk loves uh, a cheeky Nando's. Who doesn't love a cheeky Nando's? Even even the most ill-tempered among us. Mm -hmm. um, so Punk and Perry 
um, now suspended. It seems partly Punk hasn't been contacted. I've seen people going, ah, Punk using the old, you can't suspend me if I don't answer my phone <laughs> argument. <laughs> um, I wonder how many messages Tony Khan has left on Punk's voicemail. <laughs> but it looks like CM Punk and Jack Perry are going to be missing out on this week's Rampage Collision and All Out Triple Bill, which is a shame for Punk because it's in Chicago. Um, I imagine the fans will be civil and not scream CM Punk throughout the entire show. Uh, uh, but what happens after is remaining to be seen. We know a Shytown loyal anyway in the form of Chris Anthony Lopez. I'm sure he'll keep everyone in order. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, someone called him the nicest man in Chicago the other day before clacking. <laughs> that bar has not been set very high recently. Anyway, um, we talked about Hook and Jack Perry um, being a match we were worried about, but the, the hardcore stipulation made it made it worthwhile and it was a fun pre-show match this was not a fun match this was a match that overstayed its welcome the golden elite of Hangman Page uh, Kenny Omega Kota Bushi going up against Bullet Club Gold Jay White Juice Robinson and Takeshita with Don Callis in their corner I thought this was going to be yet another you know let's just get as many people in the card as possible 20 and a half minutes this show went. This match got longer than Punk Joe. It got longer than the women. It got double the time of the women's fatal four-way. got longer than the coffin match, longer than Osprey Jericho, longer than the trios title match, and was the fourth longest match on the card. It was only a minute, minute longer than, sorry, a minute shorter than the stadium stampede. This was not a good match. This was a by-the-numbers six-man tag. I, it felt cool as well because, you know, we got the pyro and all that beforehand. That was the uh, first pyro of the night as well. Yeah. Obviously, this, apart from Samoa Joe having the fire and stuff. but yeah. This this was not a great match. I, I thought it was a waste of a match. I was falling asleep until somebody got a roll-up. And now they're going to go out and do Takeshita versus Kenny Omega all-out. A feud ending match in front of 20,000 people as opposed to a match that really could have made Takeshita in front of 81,000 people. I just, I didn't understand the booking of this match beforehand and I still don't understand it after. Yeah, it had a, it had an uphill battle in trying to pique my interest, unfortunately, which is a, a real, real shame because all of these guys deserve to be on the card, just not in the capacity they were booked in. And it's the second match of the night after what was already a cracking main show opener between Punk and Joe. Like, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Jay White, Juice Robinson, we should be popping like hell for these guys as wrestling fans. But after the Joe-Punk match, I think we were all just a bit, a bit, a bit worn down because it was that entertaining. And the worst position to be is the second match on the main on the main card. When you've got all these big names clashing with each other, it was I think this is probably the least memorable match of the night when you've got some of the big names in there as well. I think more people are interested in booing Don Callis than being invested in this match. But there were some really, really good spots. You know, Omega and the V triggers on the ropes was pretty brutal. He did a couple of uh 
outside the ring moves, which I thought was pretty cool. He was definitely man of the match for sure. But it just fell a bit flat at the end, really. And we said last week as well, this this match is going to have an uphill struggle to leave a lasting impact. And I think we were proven right. Yeah. Um, and not just the fact that it followed Punk Joe, but the fact that it followed, you know, the Ring of Honor tag title match, the FTW match, which is better than expected. Both of which big, changed hands. Yeah, the big home country pop for Grado. Um, yeah, it just did. It was the first bad thing on the card, but my God, what followed it? Oh. FTR, oh. FTR, Cash Wheeler and Dax Hardwood going up against Matt and, Nick Jack, Matt, Matt and Nick Jackson. Easy for me to say. I've just had a glass of water as well. <laughs> the Young Bucks for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. 21 minutes and 45 seconds, but my God, was every second of it memorable. And I'm so glad you referred to him as Dax Hardwood because that match was pure wrestling pornography. It was glorious to see these two teams go at it. And we said beforehand, you know, what match are we looking forward to the most? How I can't remember how many of us said it, but I'm pretty sure the consensus was that FTR and Bucks was going to be match of the night and they proved us right. A seven, another seven-star quality match between two of the best teams around. Although I do think it was a little bit hampered by one section of the crowd chanting, uh, Wheeler's got a gun, got a gun, Wheeler's got a gun. But I, I mean, the, sure, it was, I think it was just a break up, you know, at least give the, the crowd something to chant. But when you focus on the ring action alone, oh, three T's, shatter machines, near falls, rope breaks, jumps to the outside, the spike pile driver move, like, my God. God, I mean, I thought Gunther and Sheamus was a cracking match. This, this was on par, if not better. I think I, I, I can't talk for that match because I wasn't in the arena, so I've only got the the viewing it, and I was holiday at the time, so I knew the result. I came back, I watched it, I, I found it a very good match, but this match I was just so invested I was cheering for FTR Tom was cheering for the Young Bucks next to me we were going back and forward there was so many near falls for both teams you know there was so many times I wanted FTR to win and I just sat back in my chair thinking Young Bucks have won it and when they kicked out they're just sitting forward oh my god it's absolutely sensational I'm going to add Derek into the call just now right sure hello hello Right. Gentlemen, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Um, we're just talking just now, Dale, about... Uh, we'll get your quick thoughts just on the pre-show and Punk versus Joe. What did you think of uh, that and, you know, Wembley Stadium itself? Well, just to sort of go back just even a wee bit from that, Ross, this was my first, like, AEW. I haven't, I haven't had a lot um, to do with them. I've seen a couple of shows... Um, late night on late night telly sort of thing but other than that this is my first proper sort of involvement with AEW and you know I thought it was on a whole it was spectacular and, you know sort of Wembley Arena was incredible um, I, I thought as a as, as a venue for it and it was you know testament to the you know to the British wrestling public that you know they were you know it was it was jam packed you know everybody was in mm-hmm. such a good mood 
Um, and just the... Just everything in general was just incredible. The whole place was the buzz was incredible. I've not experienced anything like that in a wrestling event before, but yeah, it was it was, it was incredible. And uh, the matches, what was well, it was uh, it was uh, the three show, wasn't it? You were talking about there, Ross. Uh, yeah, so we, we've talked about obviously the tag title match and the uh, Hook v Jack Perry. Yeah, yeah, and then um, obviously we had the. Uh, um, Punk and um, Samoa Joe match as well. Yeah, I thought it was a like I said, I, I wasn't. I, I had a quick look at the, the background of some of these matches and things like that as well. And I, you know, I, you obviously know who CM Punk and Samoa Joe are. So they two were. I thought I, I thought that match was a really really good match. You know, they gave it their all. Got to love Samoa Joe for his cockiness <laughs> when you know he jumps ahead. Punk jumps and he walks away and gives him a. Not too nice sign, should I say? Um, yeah, we called it a churning emoji. <laughs> a what emoji? Sorry, a churning butter. That's what we called it. <laughs> a churning butter emoji. <laughs> but I, I thought it was the start of the match. I think it was perfect the way it started. Um, really good, really good match to start with. Um, the tag match I thought was was good as well. Obviously, that was leading up to the the main event um, as well. But yeah, I was. Really excited to be there. Um, like I said, not much involved in AEW, but they've definitely made a made a fan in me now to watch it more often. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just on. We were talking about uh, FTR versus the Young Bucks just before you joined us there. Um, I said to Dave, twenty-one minutes, forty-five seconds, the longest match in the card. But my God, every single second. Second longest. Sorry, second longest. Yeah, sorry after. Um, after the main event, but every second was just sensational. You know, see, this is a team in uh, FTR that we all thought was, you know, criminally underutilised in WWE, and then the Young Bucks obviously got a massive groundswell of support, and they're part of, you know, the, the founding of AEW. But my God, these guys left everything in that ring. It's, I think it's the best tag match I've ever seen. Um, in terms of everything that it had, you know, two great tag teams, like you said, FTR were criminally underused in WWE. Um, sorry, I'm getting a bit of comeback here on myself. Two seconds. No, no worries. Getting a bit. Of... That's any... Is that any better, guys? No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, sorry, sorry. So, yeah. Um, FDR are crim- I-, I thought they were criminally underused in WWE, like you said, Ross. And the Young Bucks, I haven't seen much of them. Really excited to see what see what they had. Obviously, I'm aware of them and what they've done. I haven't seen a lot of their matches, but every every second of that match was was well used, well timed, well constructed together, and it was it was perfect. Yeah, no, it absolutely was perfect. Um, and the finish as well, you know. I was I've seen to Dave there was so many so many near falls that when I wanted FTR to win when I thought oh the young bucks have this I just kind of slumped in my chair and you nearly ended up the next row forward because you're like oh my god how did he kick out of that and, and it's a good thing the seats in front of us were empty as well so even uh, if we did fall forward we wouldn't have crashed at anybody no we'd have just went out of the barrier <laughs> <laughs> yeah true but yeah FTR the win here I I absolutely loved the finish. Just the shatter machine or the big rig or whatever you want to call it. Shatter out machine. Of absolutely nowhere. Absolutely sensational finish. Like, 
I would argue that's one of the best tag team finishers around after the 3D and I think maybe even the Doomsday device as well. It's just so, they just execute it so well. And much like an RKO, you could just pop it out of nowhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the afters, uh, when the match finished, FTR offering a handshake to the Young Bucks. Young Bucks refusing to nope. an absolute chorus of boos. This was sensational, this match, but I'm very glad that it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the... Um, you thought it was the rubber match, but there's clearly going to be more to come in the in the next few months. Let's talk um, Stadium Stampede, Dale. This was a match I said to Dave last week. I was looking forward to watching it on TV, but I wasn't looking forward to seeing it in the stadium because there's just so much going on. Um, we were side on where myself and Dave were sitting. So we had a sort of, you know, a view from right down the ramp, whereas you were behind the, the Titantron. How did yeah. how did that match come across to you guys? Was it a bit hard to follow or did... Did you have a, maybe a better view of it than we did? No, I found it really hard to follow. Ross, from, from, where, from where we were sitting, you know, behind the, the Titantron, like you said. So there was a lot a lot of stuff that we couldn't see. Some of the fighting was over the other side of the of the Titantron as well, so we definitely couldn't see that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was pretty difficult until we actually, um, actually came into the... Um, but when I actually went into the ring, so you were trying to watch what was what was happening in there. But it was just arms and limbs everywhere, limbs everywhere, and it wasn't. It, it was just a, you know. Again, I, I was looking forward to it because there was a number of guys that we knew on it as well. But it was just it was a lot to try and pick up, particularly after a good few pints that we all had as well. So it was time. <laughs> The, the, the glasses were, you know, the glasses were off for the FDR match because I had my Hitman shades on. Um, <laughs> but then after that, the specs had to well and truly come back on because I couldn't really see what was happening. <laughs> um, Dave, this was one, I think, it, it had some great spots, obviously, but as Dale mentioned, really hard to follow. Um, I watched a lot of it on the screen, but I think a highlight of this, and it's, it's not a dig at anyone in the match, but when Chuck Taylor's mum Sue comes out and a massive <laughs> chant begins, that was absolutely sensational. Um, best friends Eddie Kings and Orange Cassidy and Penta winning the match. Here, here's something as well. Um, I, I didn't understand it at the time. Dave Scott explained it to me after. Apparently, Penta. Like coming out in the red gear is sort of a. It's meant to be like a special entrance that he only breaks out in a while. It's like as if you have to kill him to like bring him back to life, sort of thing. Yeah, that was very weird. I remember sitting next to him thinking, yeah. "Wait, have they played a a promo or sound clip like earlier than they should have?" And then yeah. I realised I see Penta down up at the ramp wearing this red gear, and I'm thinking, "Wait a minute, he started the match in black." Why is he wearing yeah. red now? It's, it just felt really weird. But I get what Derek was saying about the um, the practicality of this match. Like you had to look, you know, you had to change your view left, right, and center because there was stuff going on in the ring. There was stuff going on at the entranceway. Big Sue comes out in the in the soccer mom van to help out help out our boys. And all while this is going on, you've got Eddie Kingston and Claudio in the posh box 
about two tiers up, and you can and you need a pair of binoculars to see them. You could you you hardly see them even on the screen. So I mean, the match itself, if you were right, watching on TV, it would have had a different vibe to it. But when you're watching it live, it's much much more difficult to follow. But let's not take away from the fact there were some very memorable spots, you know, with Penta uh, taking out Santana through the, the table with the ladder spot. And then, oh, the most brutal spot, I think, of the entire match was Penta getting that big wad of skewers, sticking them, jamming them to Moxley's skull. He bleeds like like nobody's business. He bleeds like a, a stuffed hog, as JR would say. The skewers then bloom, like blossom into like a, a like as if a flower was opening up, and then he just carries on. Like the guy's a fucking psycho. Yeah, he is. But if I could get to my original point before you spoke for four minutes there, Dave, I was going to say Penta coming out in the red gear. It's it's something that yeah, it was saved for a big show, but when it's meant to be that special thing that only like certain fans will know. Doing it in front of 81,000 when there's a lot of casual fans in the audience, it just felt kind of, huh? Like, yeah. I, I think a wasted thing that maybe they should, you know, we talked about saving stuff for All Out and, you know, maybe being a bit annoyed that we're not going to get, you know, Kenny in a singles match here. That was definitely something I think they should have saved for a smaller, more hardcore crowd. Yeah. Like, it, it's... I think it's one of those gimmick sort of type things. You know, Finn Balor's got the demon and stuff, and people are hyped when they see him because he's meant to be this supernatural entity. Penta's red gear or this, you know, this power-up almost, it should be treated as such, and then people would probably have popped for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the best friends getting the win in the end. and A memorable match, but certainly a match that when you're watching it in the stadium it doesn't translate to maybe TV um, it, did, talk- it, it did lag a bit in the middle yeah let's talk the fatal four way match for the AEW's women's championship uh, Derek between the Young Bucks gear between Saraya coming out to We Will Rock You and between Chris Jericho's <laughs> Freddie Mercury impression I think Tony Khan and it's just an inkling might be a wee bit of a fan of Queen <laughs> Maybe just a wee bit. Um, <laughs> I, I think this match was, I think it was maybe the shortest match on the main card by a considerable, this by a good few, by a good few minutes. So, um, yeah, again, it's a good, it was, it was a decent match, you know, having Saraya back and coming back home, you know, sort of very, you know, sort of this British Bulldog almost 92 SummerSlam sort of winning it. Winning it in the home, winning it in a home park, you know, it was that was that was a good result, and it was a, it was a fairly solid match as well, you know, having someone like Tony Storm in there and Britt Baker, you know, it's going to be it's going to be good, and also the defending champion in there as well, it's going to be a good match, um, and it was, you know, the only thing that sort of missing in it, I think, would have been well, I guess I was I was going to say I would have liked to see just just on the card in general, I'd have liked to see a couple more singles matches in there, and I think that could have been one that could have been, but. You know, with the people that were the, the athletes that were in it, it was it was still a good match. Yeah, Dave, uh, uh, talking about the lack of singles matches, you could have easily have done uh, Shida versus Tony Storm in like the rematch, and then still had Saraya get the hometown pop against Britt Baker, maybe, yeah, and still had two really good matches. You know, mm-hmm. 
we talked about obviously this match being good, but it was it was considerably shorter, and it it, it did very much feel like an AEW has done a lot to improve its women's division. It felt like a step back. It felt like throw all the women in one match and give them just under ten minutes. Yeah, it's. I suppose when you've got an eleven match card, you have to make some cutbacks. But that being said, why does it obviously always have to be the women's match? You know, you could have flipped that timing round with the coffin match, and I don't think anybody would have noticed the difference. Or maybe even, you know, the, the trios match to an extent. But this story was all about Soraya, I think, getting the the pop for the win, because she comes out with her whole family. Like, her, her parents are in the crowd, her brother's in the crowd. And, yeah, the story was told practically from that. And I start to think, like, Shida and Baker almost felt like afterthoughts in this match. It just seemed to be the a potential feud later down the line between Saray and Tony Storm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dale Scott turned to me at one point when you saw the... We saw Saria's family and went, Jesus, look at the state of them. The casting and fighting with my family was the most generous thing ever. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a point. Um, that, you know, it was, it was the typical homecoming, wasn't it, for her? You know, yeah. bringing everybody out. It's like, uh, it, was, it was, you know, it was like it was showing off a new baby when everybody wants to see it. You know, they're all coming down and seeing it. So it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it was nice, but it was a wee bit OTT um, for it, you know, I think it would have been better if she came out then maybe at the end if they ran in with her and it sort yeah. of made it a bit predictable, you know, that they were all coming out with her. Yeah, just her storytelling, it could have it could have been it could have been done better, definitely. Like yeah. They could have brought they could have brought Nick Frost out instead of her dad, and I would have assumed <laughs> it was her actual dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very generous bit of casting, I think, as we said, <laughs> especially yeah. Lena Henry playing the mum. But we'll move swiftly on. Uh, uh, get, get Cersei Lannister down to play the mum. Darby Allen and Sting going up against the Dida Alliance of K- Christian Cage <laughs> as well, Strickland, <laughs> in a coffin match. This match was brilliant, and Derek, I, I broke. Dave's heart last week when he got excited about seeing Sting for the first time, just to tell him, I seen him in 2013, but this was this your first time seeing Sting, and how was that, you know, because it was starting to get dark in Wembley Arena, and the visual of Sting and Darby Allen's entrance was just something to behold. I've seen, I think that's the second time I've seen Sting. I've seen him at, uh, where did I see him? A show... A short Bray, was it Bray Head? That's definitely the second time I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was, it was great to see him still, you know, wrestling at the, the grand old age of 64, I think he is, which is incredible still to be wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Stephen were sitting beside each other and uh, we, we giggled it, and I'm like, Stephen, he's just the same age as your mom. <laughs> 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 still, still running about the ring, get thrown into, get thrown out of coffins. Fair play to him. Um, but yes, yeah, incredible to see someone like Sting, isn't it? You know, regardless of what age he is, you know, he's an absolute icon of the business. So it was, it was brilliant to see him. So I just can't get that visual out my head. Christine Wilson is all elite. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Christine with a Sting face paint on. <laughs> it's Chris. <laughs> <laughs> But 
Jesus oh, Christ. I'll, I'll never be able to look at her the same way now. <laughs> um, David, we talked about last week, obviously, AR Fox was replaced in this match by uh, because he didn't tell them about travel issues he had. It was such an upgrade, however, having Christian in the match. Yeah, de- the definite heat magnet that we needed after what was, you know, a couple of matches where, as we said, you know, it lagged a bit uh, in some areas, but you needed somebody to generate heat energy and Christian Cage was the right the right guy to do it. I mean, fair play to him, you know, he, he's had his fair share of injuries and setbacks in the past, but he, he could still go to an extent. You know, he could keep up with Sting, keep up with Derby and some really good spots pulled out in that match. And just to echo what Derek said, you know, Sting, 64 years old, fair play to him. And he was pulling out stuff that I was not expecting him to pull out, regardless of what age he is. And it it really was an honor to see such a such an icon of wrestling you know, in person. Particularly, I think he's one of the first names that I ever heard alongside Hulk Hogan when I first got into wrestling about maybe, I want to say, eight years old. So this feels like, you know, 25 years in the making a little bit. I mean, the two of you can say it's great seeing 64-year-old Sting wrestling. I think it's depressing considering there was nine of us sharing a house ranging from 25 to 40. And every time one of us got out of a chair, it was like, so, you know, God help us all when we're 64. Fair play to Sting, mind you. Um, They obviously did a couple of spots with the coffin um, that looked absolutely horrendous, like, you know, Somebody's back in that situation. Jesus Darby's Christ. Darby's back, specifically. Yeah. But I think the joke in the arena, Dave, was certainly that when they shut the coffin, uh, so many times Swerve, you know, put his foot out, put his hand out, his dreads were still sticking out, and people were like, his dreads are still <laughs> out. No, 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 it's, it's still going, it's still going. It's still going. <laughs> Sting and Darby celebrating Swerve's hair. It's hanging out. It looks like Bob Marley's coffin. <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, even with the dread sticking out, they could have just repeated the the closing spot. You know, he's half he's hanging out halfway out the coffin. Darby does the coffin drop onto the coffin and almost near enough decapitate Swerve in the process because that looked painful. Uh, you know, just do it twice and then seal it for good. But there's going to be a time where Darby's back is just going to give out on him, much like Randy Orton's has done a little bit. And he... I think he's at real risk of doing permanent damage if he keeps doing spots like that. But fair play to him for uh, going through with it, you know, for the purposes of entertainment. I, I think at this show, it, it certainly was warranted because it is the biggest show in AEW history. So, yeah, I think it's it's warranted here, but I think the the weekly, you know, coffin drop onto the apron needs to, needs to stop. I do agree with you there. Let's move on to Osprey versus Jericho. Oh, yeah. The the entrance, Derek, for Jericho was just sensational. It, it was, you know, it, as Dave said, the crowd's starting to lag a wee bit. We are nine matches on an 11-match card. And then usually when it's these live performances that nobody knows, you're like, oh, for Christ's sake, really? But this really just, the, c- the crowd were up on their feet here. Yep, it was the... Proverbial, you know, kickstarted the kickstarted the, uh, the the show again, wasn't it? Because, like you said, yeah. eight matches in, 
everybody was lagging a wee bit, you know, the pints were the pints were you know settling in the stomach, you know, everybody was a bit tired and then Jericho comes out with a with, with the music and the band, his band and it was just it was just the perfect pick me up that everybody needed. Um and it was it was brilliant, you know, it sort of got everybody going for the match. Um and then Osprey came out as well and you know you know what you're gonna get with these two guys as well, two fantastic wrestlers. Um and it was it was brilliant to behold, you know, seeing this match again. You know, I love Jericho. Um he's such a good entertainer. And Osprey, this is the first time I've actually seen him live. Um and he's he is you know, he's very good as well. You know, the high flying stuff that he does and all that as well. It was a mixture of two different styles, but it was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realise how over Osprey would be. I know, obviously, that Scott tells me about him in New Japan. And, you know, New Japan do do big 60,000-seater shows in Japan. But coming into this casual audience and coming back where maybe he's only really known through RevPro in the UK because... You know that's kind of his home base, but my God, you you it's such a reaction. You know, not just the hometown reaction, just such an unbelievable pop. Yeah, he really is an incredible talent. You know, pulling off the shooting star whilst Jericho's on the ropes, he does the corkscrew planches and some of the other moves he pulls off. I can't remember what the names of it, but. He's really caught my attention now with some of the stuff he was pulling off. But just to echo what Derek was saying about the entrances, there were three things about this show that I was looking forward to. Number one was singing Cult of Personality. Number two was singing Judas. And number three we will get to in just a bit. But that was entrance that with Fozzie. Was that number three? What's that? Being sat next to Ross. Ross, to Ross was number three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I thought that was just yeah, a guarantee. <laughs> but yeah that Judas entrance with Fozzie spectacular pyrotechnics going off everybody singing along with Jericho it really got everyone in the mood but Will Osprey's theme elevated I'd never heard that before but apparently people popped just for that playing because apparently it's a big a big theme he uses like for uh, was it you Japan or or is it just yeah, big events yeah he's currently the US champion in Japan, but he's rebranded at the UK title. So he's currently that was something yeah, by I saw the way. Um with Samoa Joe, he was the current Ring of Honor TV champion. And you had uh, Orange Cassidy as the international champion and uh, Osprey as the New Japan champion. They didn't announce that, so it was kind of confusing just seeing these guys come out with random belts and not be announced at times, you know. <laughs> For the casual fans, so that is something I think I would improve on. Um, the aftermath of the match is what I want to talk about, though. Sammy Guevara, he's been he's been joined at the hip with Jericho ever since AEW started in 2019. Um, he's classed as one of the four pillars. I don't class him as one of them because every time he tries to go off on his own, it's a disaster, and he just kind of ends up back with with Jericho in just a slightly more diminished role. Um, what are your thoughts with the aftermath uh, between the two of them? Because I think if they're going to tease Sammy as a face, it will not work. We've seen it fall before. Mm. It's difficult to say at this point. It's uh, 
you know, I think you could argue that Jericho was just frustrated with losing another big match on a big stage. But you're right, Sammy Guevara does not suit as a face character. We saw it with him and Tete trying to get over with the crowd. People were just not having it. And he had to revert back to a heel. So it's difficult to say at this point. So I'll, I'll just put it on the back burner for now and just let it develop a little bit more. Yeah. Um, let's talk six-man tag match for the AEW World Trios Championship. <laughs> um, Derek, this is where, obviously, there was five of you sitting together, me, Dave, Tom and Scott sitting separately. We went, uh, We ended up not drinking. You guys were. I was, I was gutted I wasn't with you guys because I wanted us all sitting together. But I was very glad that I wasn't drinking at this bit because having watched Billy Gunn win a title... Had I had a few pints in me, I'd have made an absolute spectacle of myself. <laughs> I'd have been like Ric Flair with a tear in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I, I could I, I could have imagined you sitting there just watching Billy Gunn <laughs> um, lifting a lifting a title. Yeah. Um, again, this match was. I mean, it was a good match. I don't. To be honest with you, Ross, I was fairly drunk by this time so I don't really remember much about this match <laughs> I think it was halfway through the match I said to Stephen is that Alistair Black? so that shows you how much <laughs> how much I knew it you might better be passing to Dave about this one because um, no, no, I, I, said, I, I remember the main event because I was like hey, time, to, time, to, time to watch this but this one I can't even remember much other than other than who won yeah um Dave, the nice touch of House of Black coming out with the uh, the lantern in memory of Bray Wyatt, I thought was a really, a really, a, re- a really nice touch for uh, them, just as a sort of nod to Bray Wyatt, who we unfortunately lost last Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very, very nice tribute. You know, a lot of stories and memories of Bray Wyatt have been coming out over the past week or so, and yeah, it, it doesn't matter what promotion you are or who you represent. Everybody loved Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, whatever you want to call him. Like, it wasn't just the lantern as well. Even when the lights went out and the night got darker, everybody got their phones out and delivered the fireflies. And I thought that was a very nice tribute. And I really hope they do that going forward. Whenever the arena goes pitch black, everybody just, you know, brings out the fireflies just in memory of, of Bray Wyatt. So you say that everybody loves Bray Wyatt, but everybody also loves the acclaimed, the entrance with them. (laughs) These guys are so, these guys are so embarrassing. They could shame Prince Andrew was just such, such, you just, I never heard the rest of the rap because you just heard the 81,000 just go, oh. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, I just caught the tail end of it and I, all I heard was bigger disgrace than Prince Andrew. Oh my god! Um, and that was it. That, that's it. Just just give them the win there. Th- this this was a nice match. I thought just for you know they claimed to are, are very very over. Maybe didn't get a didn't get a fair crack. Maybe at the AEW Championship uh, Tag Team Championships. Uh, a nice wee nod to Billy Gunn. He is a trainer. He is a producer in AEW. He's been there since the beginning. So it was nice just to see these guys get a wee nod for their hard work and. Yeah, they just a ten minute match, nothing much to write home about. We'll move on to the, the main event. 
But before the main event, um, we had Nigel McGuinness in the ring. He announced that the official attendance was 81,000 uh, and... Sorry, I'm just getting the actual attendance here. 35. Yeah, 81,035 people paid. Um, and that wasn't included in free tickets and people that were in the boxes. So you could argue there was probably about 85,000 people there. You know, it was just... We, we did see sparse areas of the arena but where we were it was absolutely packed to the rafters and it it really looked sensational and I was really glad you know we, we talked before about how maybe at certain times a show didn't feel as big as it should I'm really glad that the crowd showed up for it because I think it would have really lost something if it was a half empty Wembley mm-hmm. yeah we were facing the hard cam side and obviously, you know, with the camera equipment getting set up there, you know, there's going to be a few empty seats. And some of the nosebleeds were, were empty as well. But it doesn't matter. When, when a wrestling show, when oh. wrestling isn't that, that popular compared to, like, football or rugby in the UK, 81,000 is pretty damn impressive. No, no, I would argue, and I, I don't know about you, Derek, but 81,000 at this, WrestleMania and WWE constantly breaking records... Um, you've got Impact a few weeks ago who did their best anniversary ever and that was just, it wasn't through association with AEW, it was just them standing on their own. I think wrestling is starting to become more and more popular it's certainly not as popular as the Attitude Era but when you get 81,000 people you, you can't deny wrestling's at a really really good stage Yeah, And it also yeah. shows you the power of you know, British wrestling and British fans, you know, yep. you know, making it from every part of the UK, even further afield as well in Europe. Obviously, our good friend Tom is coming over from, from Holland as well. So, you know, we had, you know, we we travelled, obviously, on the Saturday and then for the show on the Sunday and then we were away on the Monday. So we were there. We put our, we, we put our all into that and we've done a couple of events before that as well. So I think yep. it shows you the power of... The power of British re- the power of wrestling and the power of the British fans, you know, that are able to travel all over the country to go and see a spectacular event like this at Wembley. Like I said, we haven't had an event like this in SummerSlam, you know, at Wembley mm-hmm. um, all those years ago. So it shows you that this can be done and it can be done to a successful massive stadium like Wembley. And just everything about Wembley, like I said earlier on, the infrastructure, you know, all the all the carts around it, not just, it wasn't just like, you know, your usual, you know, drink stall and then food stall. There was so many different stalls you could go to and get something. It was catered for everybody, you know, adults with children, you know, adults on their own as well. It was catered for everybody and it was brilliant. Just the whole, the whole thing. And like I said before, before we talk about the main event, I was an AEW sort of novice on this. Like I said, I hadn't watched a lot of it, but the fact that they had this massive show was on, you know, pretty much on our doorsteps. We had to, we had to go and see it. But they've definitely made an extra fan in me that I would now go and watch their shows now. You know, taking a bit more interest in it um, that that I really didn't have before. So yeah, just from going, and I imagine there's a lot of guys out there as well who were sort of similar to me, who were wrestling fans who maybe didn't watch it all the time. You know, like like you guys do, but now you've definitely became fans because of the show that they've put on and they'll go ahead from there and watch it regularly now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And something that me and Dave said last week, people were talking about, oh, well, if WWE did it, yeah, well, WWE didn't do it. They slept and AEW took the chance and they took the chance on the British fans and the British fans rewarded them greatly. So it'll be, it was a sensational event, but let's talk about what main evented this sensational event. MGF and Adam Cole kicked off the show earlier in the match. Is that you, Dave? Yes, I was clapping. <laughs> as long as you're clapping. Um, I am clapping, uh, yes. Don't go, go, get your mind out the gutter. Uh, opened the show by winning the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. They closed the show for a, uh, for MGFC AW World Heavyweight Championship. This was a great match back and forth. 29 minutes, slow to get into, but a lot of... Um, I think, Dave, when we were coming in, we thought that Cole would be the one to turn on MGF. Roddy Strong interfering quite a bit. There were so many spots where they, they, you thought MGF was going to go back to his old ways or Adam Cole was going to show his true colours, and it just drew you in. You'd hear half the ch- crowds chanting, yes, do it, do it, and the other side going, no, mm. no, it's your friend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the storytelling alone was enough to make this main event worthy. Some of the spots Cole was pulling out, it looked like he legitimately wanted to kill MJF. You know, the brain buster on the stairs, tombstone pile driver on the announce table. I, it was almost sort of like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of persona that Adam Cole was portraying. You know, he has Jekyll, who's, who's he realizes MJF's his pal now, they're tag team champions. Like he wants to be a competitor, but at the same time he doesn't want to hurt him. And then when the the pursuit of the title gets into his head, that's when the Hyde character came out, and he did a lot of stuff that could potentially really, really hurt MJF. And it was it was very much a flip flop back and forth type of match. The storytelling was phenomenal, and yeah, I mean, aside from FTR and the Bucks, this was. This was incredibly well done and definitely match of the night worthy. Yeah, Dale, what, what were your thoughts on the main event going in as someone who who hasn't been watching AEW? Easy for me to say. <laughs> I think um, the you know the the, the tag match, the, the the very first match, sort of sort of helped me understand what was happening in the match as well. You know, obviously they're a tag team, but. They're the two biggest, two arguably the biggest, um, you know, wrestlers in the, and in, in the in the company. So it was, so so it was, it was leading into it. And obviously, we, you know, what Adam Cole's like from his WWE days. You can see um, MJF from you know some of the things you see on social media and stuff like that. I was I was excited for this match after watching the tag match because I knew what Adam Cole was like. I'd never seen MJF before, and I was excited to see it with that wee bit at the end that they done at the. Um, at the end of the tag match, and then on the match itself, it was it was brilliant. It was you know comp- I think the tag match, the um, FDR and the Young Bucks, is probably the best match in it. Closely followed by this, this had everything in it for a main event. You know, it had a story. You know, best friends fighting. You know, two of them had a bit of a nasty side in it. Shouldn't they? Shouldn't should should they? Shouldn't they? Sort of revealed ourselves to be, you know, turning heel or whatever. It had everything. Great storytelling, great wrestling in there as well. Because at the start it was very technical. There wasn't much in it, and then from there, it, you know, became a became a proper match after a bit of technical wrestling, and it was it was brilliant. And I liked the way that you know it ended sort of controversial, and then they turned like, let's fucking finish this tonight, and then they went away again and done it. 
So I think it had everything, Ross. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, like I said, I wasn't in any camp. But like Dave's obviously a massive Adam Cole fan, um, but I didn't. I, I didn't have anything either way. I just sat there and enjoyed the spectacle that what it was. Me and Scott enjoyed the spectacle that was Tom Brock, the massive MGF mark, and Dave. <laughs> I'll let you put forward your Adam Cole fandom as well. Yeah. Uh, the two I did say, Ross, I did say to this. I did say this to you last week as well, Ross. When Adam Cole makes his entrance, I am going to be on my feet and just live in the moment for that entrance. You know, singing along to All About the Boom, etc. But the moment that he did that, that um, crescendo of his entrance, walks around the ring, bends over, and he's just like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. I said to you, I was going to scream Adam Cole baby at the top of my voice, and I did it. And I swear to God, it was probably the biggest state of euphoria that I've experienced in my life. And then you were sat next to me in this as well, so don't don't contradict me on this. And no, as, no. Soon as, I, as soon as I sat back down, I was just like, yes! Like, that was a genuine moment of satisfaction in my life, and I knew there and then I could die a happy man. Absolutely. The match itself sensational. I think, obviously, we had a bit of... That as Derek mentioned, the let's finish it tonight. But I'm only saying this part because I told you this on Saturday, sorry, on Sunday. Um, this is just for David Campbell because I know he'll appreciate this reference. But Roddy Strong's interference, he was the James Marsden of the feud. He's the other guy. He's the nice guy that <laughs> the woman in the rom-com is with at the start. But nobody wants the woman to end up with him. They want the bastard they can change like MGF. I'm just watching Roddy Strong take a temper tantrum after the match as MGF and Adam Cole embraced. It was it was it was so so good to see obviously the pop MGF and Adam Cole got, but just so funny that just eighty one thousand people are like, Yeah, fuck that guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there wasn't it did have its fair share of comedy as well throughout you know it wasn't just the storytelling behind it because remember there was the the continuous reversals of the roll-ups everybody was just counting one 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 and the chair spot as well where they were just trading the chair with each other when the ref got knocked down oh i got massive eddie guerrero vibes from that you know the whole lie cheat and steel type thing and i was pissing myself at that spot it was just so so creatively well done it just added that little extra bit of comedy in what was already a, a very dramatic match Dell, I don't know how you guys were uh, in your section but when MGF gets the roll up Tom Brock's at one side of me he dives out of his seat like his team's just scored a last minute cup final winner Dave went silent and went as white as a sheet he is sat next to me. He does not move. I stared at him for about two minutes before I had to kind of just put my arm over his shoulder and go, you all right, mate? Scott tried to speak to me after about 90 seconds, and I was like, he hasn't blinked in like four minutes. I just... The emotion in the stadium and just kind of... Come on, Dave. I honestly thought if me and Dave got pictured on camera together... I'd have looked like one of those parents consoling their child when their team gets knocked out of the World Cup. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was led forward. I had the, um, you know, the prayer hands just in front of my mouth. And I was just like, ooh, 
But it wasn't. I wasn't upset at the loss. I was more worried about what would happen next because obviously, you know, is that the straw that breaks the camel's back on on better than you, baby? How that's, was it? In your, that's what. That's why I was worried about. How was it in your section, Derek? We use is it a pro Adam Cole or pro MGF section? Was there shock when MGF gets the roll up? There was uh, there was a mixture, you know, running about us, um, you know, who weren't some guys were MGF fans, other guys running about us were Adam Cole's fans. But when it but when it finished, there was a lot of guys who were just wrestling fans and just enjoyed and savoured the match for what it was. And most people stood up and applauded it at the end, and then they were waiting for that wee bit at the end. Like Dave said, are they going to turn on each other? What are they going to do? Um, here, so it was it was it was really good, and it was that just that wee extra bit of the match, you know, the wee bit at the end that made it that wee bit more special. That was um, it was excellent. But yeah, run about us. It was just mostly people like, wow, that was a great match. Um, run about us. By this point, I had my Mexican uh, wrestling mask on, chopping <laughs> everybody. So I was um, I was just delighted and just in awe of what was a truly fantastic, you know event that we witnessed there as well so uh, it was I think it was a brilliant way to finish it um, as well and it had I think that match like I said it had everything in it you know yeah. technical wrestling but you know all these different moves a bit like Dave said Eddie Guerrero moments with the, with the chair um, in there as well and then finishing a draw then Alex finished it tonight it had everything absolutely everything yeah absolutely and I've seen a, a lot of people online, you know, maybe, oh, well, they should have done the turn tonight. I think when they're announcing a historic event and it's they're doing a second one, I think you need, I think you need to keep the tag team going for now. I think you, you can't have Adam Cole turn on MGF and then after go, hey guys, we're coming back next year. It just loses everything. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you, you need that. But let, I want to get your thoughts, guys, on this. We, we mentioned, Derek's mentioned the power of the wrestling fans in Britain and, you know, how we all made the effort to go to London. Do you think it's, I'll start with you, Dave. Do you think it's, I'm, I'm trying to find the word here. Um, yeah, that's all right. I'll come to me, but I'll just use wise for the minute. Do you think it's <laughs> wise? For them to to come back to the UK after after doing this big show, do you think they'll get as many people this time, or do you think it's one of those ones where AEW sees what they have and they're capitalising on it before WWE can sort of muscle its way into Wembley? You know what? I think it's actually very very smart on their part to make it an annual thing because if you look at the ticket sales alone, like. I think that's more than enough reason to want to do it, do it again, you know, let alone just do one. Because London itself, and remember we talked about London at the start of the show, London itself is a central hub for, you know, air travel everywhere, particularly for Europe. It's one of the biggest airports in the whole world. Heathrow in particular is a massive travel hub. It's It's easy enough for anybody from the UK, Europe, even America, even North America to travel to, 
attend the event, which is only a couple of <laughs> a couple of underground trains away at the stadium. There's more than enough capacity for a Wembley Stadium that size. And if you looked at the the sheer mass of humanity that came out of the stadium with massive smiles on their face, everybody was talking about it. You know, we even saw what culture representatives, we saw cultaholic representatives. The buzz is going to be there regardless of who comes to Wembley. You know, yeah. if it's AWWE, there will always be demand for it. Absolutely. Audacious was the word I was looking for as well. There we go. Do you think it's audacious for them to to try it again? Um, I know you said going into the weekend you're not a, a regular wrestling viewer anymore and you were talking about maybe this being your last show. Do you see yourself being in London next year for it? Oh, that's you're going to get me in trouble with my seats now, Doss, if I, if I say yes or no. Um, <laughs> it was a... Um, in terms of in terms of you know is it is it wise for them to do it you know and get get their foothold in there I think it's I think it's wise, um I think it's a good choice to come back again. People are on a buzz from it still, you know like you said in our group chat that we've got for it we're already looking at trying to find locations to stay in, you know and things like that. So it's it is people are already looking into it. I think people who maybe didn't go and watch it online will be encouraged to go to the event and stuff like that. As for AEW as a business, I think it's a wise thing as well, getting their foot in there as well, in terms of, because the WWE haven't done a, you know, major event, you know, they had obviously had Clash in Cardiff, and, you know, they done the one in the, uh, they done, what was it in the O2 again, they done um, Money in the Bank. Money yeah. in the Bank, sorry, yeah, they had that recently as well, but, you know, it wasn't a big, these, I mean, obviously Clash of the Castle was a big, big stadium, but this was Wembley Stadium, you know, this is a, and it's in the, you know, capital of England, you know, easy place to get to for everybody, like Dave mentioned. It's a really sensible decision, I think, and like you said, Ross, it puts them in there in terms of, you know, get, getting their foot in there before the WWE try to come calling again. Um, it's a, I think it's a logical business decision for them to do that. In terms of I'm coming back next year, I am, um, even though I thoroughly enjoyed the event, like I said, I don't watch as much wrestling as what I used to, um, now due to other response, you know, other other family, you know, children and about mental and things like that, um, I can't I, I can't commit as much time as what I used to to it. So, um, but I'm fifty fifty at the moment to be honest with you. So I'm going to go again next year. But I would like to go back because it's it was a fantastic show, and I get to hang out with some of the best guys and my, my pals in there as well. So, yeah, I would like to go back, but just different things in there. If it was single guy, you know, doing it, I'd be, I'd, I'd have signed up yesterday when we were, when we were talking about it. Um, but I think it was a, all in all, I think it was very smart by UW to put this massive show on in Wembley and show the power of, you know, the British wrestling, you know, British wrestling public out there who want to see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we've went about an hour and 10 minutes, guys, so I'm going to wrap us up because, we could preview all out, but I mean, we, we, we've just talked Wembley. I mean, you can't top that. So we'll be back next week on Central. We'll review WWE's payback pay-per-view coming this Saturday. AEW's all out pay-per-view coming this Sunday. All of the drama that I'm sure we're going to hear about CM Punk in some capacity <laughs> will be there. Um, thank you very much, Dave and Dale, for joining me for this. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
Cheers for having us, Ross. Like I said, it's brilliant to be back on the pod again. It's been a wee while, so thanks very much for inviting us on to talk about this, and it's brilliant to be back. Brilliant to have you on. If you want to listen to our back catalogue, previews, reviews, interviews, all the news, it's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. At Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. We'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.